If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome, everybody. This is Voices in Data Storage, brought to you by Giga. I'm your host, Enrico Signoretti, and today we will talk about trends, strategies, and new architectures in the ISP market, with a special focus on storage, of course. Major service providers like Amazon, Microsoft, and Google have been growing like crazy for years now. But there are a lot of second and third providers that are doing very good as well. The reasons of their success are many. Some of them work in a particular niche, uh, Others are pretty strong in a specific region, and some of them are particularly cheap or they have very high quality standards and SLAs. Uh, and all of this without mentioning other categories like MSPs, for example, that are doing pretty well too. My guest for this episode is Boyan Hivanov, CEO and co-founder of Storepool. Storepool is a European startup that proposes a software-defined storage solution, which is becoming very popular among service providers. Hi Boyan, how are you today? Hi, Enrico. I'm quite well. Thanks. Thanks for joining me today. Why don't we start uh, with a brief introduction of yourself and your company? Okay. Uh, so my name is Boan. I'm one of the founders of uh, the company and the uh, so-called CEO, which is more like a chief everything officer. Um, we started this company in the very end of 2011, so uh, over seven years ago, uh, with the idea of building... Um, storage in the software stack. Uh, back then, and still today, storage solutions that are running on uh, proprietary storage boxes that are uh, storage-only devices uh, can be easily replaced with uh, standard servers running storage software on them. Uh, and this is what we do. We kind of help companies to build uh, software-defined infrastructure, software-defined storage solutions. Uh, we've grown the company over time, and still the majority of our customer base is in service providers. This is uh, infrastructure as a service companies, MSPs, uh, cloud and hosting, but also we have a fair share of uh, uh, pure play enterprise or telco customers. Very good. So, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, your solution is doing pretty well with the service provider, and you confirmed that. But how did it change the work of the service provider in the last uh, seven years, so during the life of your company? There has been um, a lot of changes. I think one uh, of the significant changes is the shift to cloud. And you have a lot of the service providers that are either competing with uh, the big guys, like the Amazons and uh, Azures of the world, uh, or you have uh, companies that are uh, becoming more uh, niche uh, with better support, uh, better local presence, etc. But the overall market is growing quite well, uh, like uh, regardless of the big players uh, growing at a uh, very fast pace, you still have local players uh, growing uh, quite a lot as well. So I think uh, the market is uh, not as sexy as it used to be in the beginning, uh, like uh, seven or even more years ago, uh, but still uh, good growth and a lot of the companies that are uh, doing well are looking for quality uh, and are looking for solutions that uh, can give them competitive edge. Uh, so from this point of view, still a, a healthy market. So what do they look for um, their infrastructure when it's time to expand or you know renew it? 
Um, there are, broadly speaking, uh, two types of companies. Uh, one are the companies that are looking for the cheapest solution on the market because they're playing in the, in, in the low uh, margin segments of the market and they're all about price. Uh, the other segment of companies, broadly speaking, is about value, and that's uh, value for money. So they're looking for innovative solutions that can uh, help them improve uh, or add new services, uh, but they're not necessarily looking for the lowest price. They're looking for uh, very good price performance or price uh, for quality uh, metrics. So these are basically the, the couple of uh, segments that you can distinguish from this market. But if we categorize ISP in, uh, let's say, three groups, small, medium, and large, do you see any difference in the way they operate uh, and the way they think about their infrastructure? Definitely. Uh, so smaller guys usually uh, are more competitive uh, and they usually compete on price. So that puts them in a position where they can afford large investments or to think ahead of uh, time. So they basically have a short-term focus and they're uh, very cost-sensitive. Uh, Mid-player guys are usually uh, well-positioned, so they don't compete heads-on with the very large enterprises, but they're kind of like in a niche, uh, be it local market, be it very good uh, particular service, uh, be it... Uh, uh, very good uh, service to the customers uh, and kind of the, the wrapping of the uh, product. So these guys are looking for um, how they can improve their infrastructure and make it future-proof in the next couple, three years, four years. So these guys are spending uh, money in a different manner. Uh, they're looking to uh, get a competitive advantage or to keep the advantage that they already have. Uh, where big guys, um, while there are some exceptions, a lot of the big guys are kind of like a financial operation. So uh, they're thinking in how can we get a larger market share? Uh, how can we um, acquire uh, small co companies? So in many cases, uh, their focus, investment focus is not even on infrastructure as much, but on kind of how can we improve our financials? How, how can we grow market share? And in many cases, either they kind of uh, go with a traditional infrastructure model. So they continue to buy kind of like uh, two or three letter storage uh, products, uh, storage products from uh, two or three letter vendors uh, without uh, looking into efficiency because their goal is kind of capturing market share. Uh, in other cases, uh, these guys are uh, looking at what would be uh, the next generation infrastructure. How uh, can they replicate the inner workings of Amazon or uh, Google. And in this case, they either try to build something themselves or in, in other cases, they develop infrastructure internally. I see. And uh, what is happening uh, in the upper layers? Because, you know, if you look at the enterprise space, there are technologies like OpenStack that, uh, you know, somehow you can think about them as that technology. So you, you don't see the... Um, the development anymore you don't see the adoption so and what is happening uh, in the ISP space that's a very interesting question i think uh, the cycle uh, of getting a new technology that's cool and hyped uh, to the cycle when this technology actually gets adopted on the market and uh, the point at which this technology is becoming a legacy technology is uh, 
shortening. So this uh, cycle of uh, interesting, high uh, productive use and then becoming kind of obsolete or uh, standard or not cool technologies uh, very short now. So uh, it's true on the OpenStack side, we've been exhibitory the, and part of the OpenStack community for quite some time now. Uh, and this year, they rebranded it to Open Infrastructure Summit, which comes to show that uh, kind of the, the OpenStack movement, it's, it's not as strong as it used to be. Now we have new things that are uh, much core, like containers in Kubernetes. Um, in my view, uh, interesting things that are coming would be serverless and uh, Function as a service are the things that are going to be the, the next wave, but maybe we're a, a year or two away. Uh, so in a way, to, to answer your question, I really see a lot of the projects that were in uh, service providers that are running OpenStack, a lot of them failed in the end, so they had to re replace it with something else. I see OpenStack still a, a good solution for large enterprises and some telcos, uh, but for service providers, uh, the very, very large um, cloud providers were running OpenStack, but everybody that was uh, in the middle, there was some success here and there, but most of these guys are still not running OpenStack or staying, keeping away from it. You mentioned uh, functions as a service, serverless, and uh, but you didn't really mention Kubernetes. Do, do, do you think that Kubernetes can have a, a space in this market or, or not? It does, but from my experience with um, service providers, uh, many of these guys are trying to cater to their existing customer base. Uh, and this, this base obviously changes over time, but uh, still the bread and butter of this uh, market is um, companies or individuals who are running their websites. And these websites usually need a VM. Sometimes uh, they have new age applications that, that require containers and they kind of extend their platform. Uh, but still, uh, the majority of uh, these guys are adding containers as a new service, but their uh, traditional service uh, stays uh, pretty much unchanged. I mean, it, it has um, incremental improvements. So uh, we also see Kubernetes, but uh, in, in my experience, we see Kubernetes mostly on uh, enterprise side where people are putting microservices in containers or have applications that are uh, from the scratch developed to be kind of cloud native. Um, and we haven't seen a lot of uh, service providers that are building a huge uh, container and Kubernetes farms. Uh, so it's kind of like uh, this uh, mismatch of uh, where uh, the use case is stronger for containers. and. Uh, for service providers, are they go to kind of uh, AWS, or you, you see uh, actually containers more um, used more in enterprise and, and, and telco environments? Got it. So, and uh, last week we we also had a, a chat, and you mentioned that object storage. Okay, uh, there is a rise in demand for uh, for this type of storage, and uh, you know some uh, interesting use cases. I I would say so with the small and sometimes fast object stores requested by the end users. Maybe we can dig a little bit more on this. So, what are the use cases these service providers see? What is the kind of infrastructure they're planning for object storage and so on? Uh, that's an interesting one because we start to see um, object storage becoming um, 
of practical interest to companies uh, this year, actually. Um, we've seen a lot of object storage projects for companies that were doing uh, web applications or new age applications that are you know, cloud native and everything that has video or photos or applications that need to write data once and not read write the same data, they kind of uh, select object. So historically, that's been the, the newest type of storage uh, on the market, and therefore, uh, less applications were uh, traditionally available. Now, this is the fastest growing segment, and uh, if you look at traditional service providers, they used to run virtual machines, sometimes containers, but that's usually websites, uh, email, um, and web servers, so that's kind of a, their typical application is still on the stack that's usually use, using bulk storage. And these new applications uh, were directly going to something that has um, object, and I think S3 is the de facto standard there. So if you had an object storage application or use case, you kind of by uh, default were usually going to uh, AWS in the service provider domain. Now, if in the enterprise, you usually go and uh, kind of get a, a uh, object storage uh, software to, to run it on, on space, uh, on-prem. On uh, so with the service providers, I see customers that are coming to them actually this year asking, hey, I have this new application that I'm building. Can you provide me an object store? And I've had a request from our customer base and other customers or other prospects uh, that are reaching out and asking, you know, how can we have the traditional thing that we have, which is running virtual machines requiring bulk storage and then add object storage to that. So I think this is, again, uh, twofold. You have the, the enterprise or cloud native applications on one side and uh, the object storage is just coming to the traditional service providers, uh, I think this year, next year. Very good. And um, what about files? So are these ISPs following the same part of large providers? Meaning blocker came first, then object, and, uh, and then files? Rarely. I think file was more applicable to enterprises where you have Word and Excel and PDF files and you're uh, working on this level of abstraction. But for service providers, uh, they are obviously file is important. But in, in, in my experience, you have the underlying uh, infrastructure in bulk, which is running virtual machines. And then there is kind of like a, a hop over to object storage and new age applications that are uh, growing at such a fast pace, then it's kind of a, a, just a hop to object. You have bulk and object. You still have some file, but I don't think you're going to see a huge growth in, in file in, in the coming years in service providers. It's going to go directly to object. Okay. And back to block storage. What is the status of the NVMe and flash storage in general? I mean, uh, are they adopting NVMe? And if so, do they really take advantage of it? Um, the short answer is yes. So I think um, SSD storage is now the de facto standard. Uh, that's usually SATA SSDs. Uh, ideally, data center grade. We see some you know, service providers and other companies trying to go and run mission critical stuff on uh, consumer-grade SSDs, which is uh, very scary, very risky in our experience. So data center SATA SSDs are uh, kind of the de facto standard. 
we see this year, last year, the year before that, we saw some uh, demand for NVMEs, but I think this year, I, I, I expect like 90% of the new storage um, systems that we're going to deploy are going to have NVMEs in them. Why? Because the margin of the price is not that uh, large compared to SATA uh, SSDs, but then the performance and more importantly, the latency metrics of NVMe are much better. So I think uh, the, the actual uh, driver for NVMe is not uh, top IOPS numbers, but it's the latency, which in our experience is the number one metric of any cloud, how low the latency can be. And that's a huge driver of NVMe and also kind of like NVMe OF uh, type of solutions. So do they look at uh, NVMe uh, over fabric and uh, NVMe TCP as the next uh, step for their storage infrastructure or is it too early? Oh, it's um, not necessarily. Like if you look at NVMe OS, it's supposed to be a standard, but if you look at what are the solutions on the market, uh, pretty much uh, most of the vendors have their own kind of um, implementation or drivers that emulate NVMe OF but are not uh, the standard NVMe OF. Storp will include that. Like we have a set of technologies that do kernel bypass that, you know, talk to uh, NICs directly. They don't have to use CPU for that and deliver extreme levels of uh, uh, low latency. Like we can do 50 microseconds and uh, 5 microseconds uh, reads. Uh, so extremely fast systems uh, that are with NVMe OF-like um, technologies. So from this point of view, uh, I think the end customer is usually looking at a way to reduce latency to the to the minimum uh, uh, latency possible. And what is the technology in play that kind of, uh, they talk about NVMe OF, but what they actually mean is have a very low latency uh, protocol to access the NVMe devices. Uh, NVMe TCP, I don't see it, uh, at least in our market segment. Uh, we're also not kind of uh, using the TCP stack at all because it's too slow for uh, high-performance storage applications. So uh, the short answer to that is uh, I think NVMe OF type of uh, solutions are very interesting because they um, ideally bundle the, the two very low latency, high performance, but also deliver a scale-out, feature-rich, intelligent storage system to the end user that has quality of service that can do snapshots. Uh, and that's kind of the, the thing that would be ideal for uh, any enterprise or service providers to have. Earlier, you mentioned that a service provider are looking at new way to, to think about their infrastructure. I'm working uh, with Gigam in these days on a report about uh, composable infrastructures. In my research, I found that composability makes sense for large infrastructure in the range of thousands or maybe dozens of thousands of servers. Are these providers looking at solutions to change the way they design their infrastructure, thinking about composability as one of the options? Um, in my experience, not yet. So that, that's an interesting uh, idea. But my experience is that the larger players that... Uh, have the, the scale to think of um, more uh, custom things in their stack. Uh, at this stage, are still looking at how they can improve their uh, building blocks, meaning uh, making custom servers or uh, custom racks or making 
um, system on chip things that are uh, offloading CPU or network car cards and still they're on this level of uh, how can we optimize and specialize uh, building blocks rather than doing uh, co composable infrastructure things. I think the composable infrastructure uh, is an interesting concept that might take uh, kind of hold in, in a couple of years. But at this point in time, you can see even uh, kind of the thinking of guys like uh, Amazon that were kind of building their own chips based on ARM technology. And I think I, I see more of that on the market, like guys that are taking special components or taking programmable uh, processors and kind of putting some very custom logic for their large scale infrastructure and kind of optimizing it on uh, this component level rather than on the, the whole um system design level. And I think this will, over time, uh, make more sense as, as this technology matures more and kind of the protocols and uh, interconnects and everything starts to kind of um, work well together and have uh, enough uh, options that you can just go and uh, buy uh, as, um, as a whole stack. But do you think that uh, CPUs like ARM, for example, will be adopted by medium and small service provider as well? Or is just... Uh something for very large providers that can uh, you know uh, give more options to their customers because the size i think it's early days uh i mean this trend will uh develop over you know three to five years maybe two to five years but i see um, sort of application that would benefit from arm servers and we actually see uh, raising demand for arm uh, servers and the future is I don't believe that the future will be 100% cloud or not 100% public cloud. You still have some things that are on-prem. It's more of a hybrid cloud. You know, have things that are being pushed to the edge and for edge computing, which doesn't require huge processing power, but requires uh, power efficiency, then ARM processors make a lot of sense. So in a way, I think there is a, a good fun fundament of ARM technology also because it's uh, finally catching up to some of the low, low end uh, x86 uh, CPUs. So from this point of view, they're uh, more power efficient, but now powerful enough to run some applications. So I think I see uh, ARM uh, moving over from the, the mobile world to more um, data center compute and also to edge. So from this point of view, I, I expect to see more ARM, more ARM in the future. Boyan, this was a very nice uh, chat, but I'm sure that uh, our listeners would like to continue this conversation online. So why don't you give us uh, a few links about uh, StorePool and your Twitter account and social media handles for you and your company? Thanks, Enrico, for uh, having me. Yeah, if uh, somebody wants to find us, uh, we're easy to, to find at uh, storepool.com. And all the social media handles basically are uh, at Twitter, where uh, Storepool, LinkedIn as well, Facebook, uh, Storepool. I think the only uh, difference there is uh, where Storepool storage at YouTube, where we have a bunch of videos and interesting content. And people can check out our blog actually at uh, sorpo.com slash blog. We have interesting uh, comparison of uh, storage-related uh, technologies, but uh, we're coming up with an interesting comparison to different uh, public cloud offerings. That's going to be rather cool. Uh, and we also have a very interesting uh, 
presentation there about why latency is the number one metric of uh, any cloud, which I, I found very uh, good response amongst uh, readers. Uh, so uh, th that's an interesting piece to check out. Great. So this is a wrap up then. And uh, thank you again and uh, bye bye. Thank you, Enrico. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Object storage and alternatives to Amazon AWS S3 are the focus of a report Enrico wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future-forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.